Deacon Christopher Meyer. How are you? It's great to be here. Doing very well. All right. Well, thank you for coming on the show. Do you prefer Deacon Chris, Deacon Christopher? I prefer Deacon Christopher, uh-huh. but I tell people that I only notice when you say Deacon Christopher. So you get a neutral reaction from me if you say Deacon Chris. But if you say Deacon Christopher, I love you a little bit more. So I'll call you Deacon Christopher Perfect. for the duration Good of our start. chat. Good start. <laughs> so you are one of three transitional deacons here in the Houston or Galveston Houston Archdiocese. So it's you, it's Deacon. Jacob Ramirez. Jacob, okay. And then Deacon... Luis Garcia. All right. And the three of you are now on your diaconate year. Yeah, we've we've been whittled down. You know, you kind of just watch people slowly leave through seminary. And oh, boy. Now it's us. How Do you remember how many of you there were from the So beginning? it's kind of hard to figure out exactly how many because it all, it works weird. So I kind of cheated the system and had one less year of pre-theology. Okay. Um, and then Luis, Gar- Deacon Luis Garcia actually left seminary and came back. Okay. He had done full college. So I think he would have been in Father David Michael's class if he had stayed. Okay. So there's a lot, that happens all the time in seminary. You know, we present seminary as this is your plan and this is how it works, but there's so many exceptions. Okay. That it's hard to anticipate, but you just start being like, yeah, there's going to be a bunch of us ordination. You're like, whoa, okay, there's only three. And that was only three. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Now, did you grow up Catholic? I grew up Catholic, born and raised. Um, You can probably tell from my hair, I'm Irish. Um, (laughs) So my mom was born in Ireland, okay, but grew up in California, moved to Texas in high school. Um, She says that, I'm throwing my dad under the bus, but I think she basically just convinced my dad that he had to be a practicing Catholic when they met. I'm not sure how much he was going to mass before they met. Okay. Man, I'll tell you what, after they met, Every Sunday. I mean, when I was growing up, which it was pretty funny later on in high school for my mom to admit that uh-huh. to me. I was like, are you kidding me? My dad <laughs> who would just freak out if we even suggested the possibility of skipping Sunday Mass. I, mean, <laughs> I remember we were driving one day and my brother was like, I don't want to go to Mass. And my uh-huh. dad was like swerving the van like we were going to get hit by lightning <laughs> for him saying that. I mean, he was real serious about it. So, so he grew up Catholic. Correct. But yeah, he grew wasn't... up Catholic and uh, military family, moved okay. around a lot. And uh, his dad was pretty high up in the military. So I know they'd had like chaplains at their houses and stuff. So he okay. had funny stories and he was in the reserve for a while. So he had stories like going up to the chaplain and being like, it's a Friday in Lent. Can I eat this ham sandwich? And the chaplain <laughs> being like, well, I already ate mine. So you better go. <laughs> Now, did you ever think of joining the the service? So it's funny that you asked that. So my family has a long um, history of military, especially my dad's side. So my great-grandfather was Army. Um, then my grandfather was Army. My dad was reserved for a little while. His brother was Army for 20 years, full retirement. Uh-huh. And so it was definitely on the table. And the first time I started thinking about being a priest— was actually to be a chaplain. Oh, I remember like looking at the kind of recruiting websites mm-hmm. and I just really liked the idea of like being out there on the field uh-huh. with the, the medic helmet on and just <laughs> saying mass on a Jeep. Oh, and, you yeah. Know, wow. Um, yeah. It's, well, it's cool. Military chaplains close to my heart and Herm as well, who, who's our partner here on the, the, on the show because we grew up you know, in the military, our parents were in the military. So we've been around a lot of military chaplains as well. Did you, do you ever think about like really how close did you come? So I'll say this. I think 
ultimately through my discernment, uh-huh. things started to change when I was kind of realizing that the reason that I want to be a military chaplain is because like, man, you're in like the war and the uh-huh. battle. Uh-huh. And the more I started getting my faith, I was like, there's a huge spiritual battle, you know, that mm-hmm. I think I know many people. I mean, I had a friend who was in seminary for a year who was in special forces. Oh, wow. And he will tell you like, my faith is a way bigger battle than anything oh, we wow. saw out there. So mm-hmm. I think once I kind of started to realize that, uh-huh. kind of the grandeur of being like with the with the uh, soldiers and doing that, I mean, tons of respect for chaplains. I mean, absolutely, that yeah. hasn't changed. But I was like, I can be in the battle, you know, hearing uh-huh. confessions from a husband, a wife, their children, you know, helping them through the spiritual life, giving them the sacraments, so... That's kind of what changed. Now, did you grow up here in Houston? Yeah, so uh, born and raised in Sugarland. Um, I'm an identical twin. Okay. Uh, we we got off to a rough start. We were two months premature. Um, with wild. St- I mean, my mom was told by her doctor to like stay home from work for a month before even the pregnancy. Oh, really? So I guess, or before the birth. So I guess it was probably six months out. She was put on bed rest. Oh, wow. Because they were worried it was going to be stillbirth. Wow. Um, we hear no, different numbers, like 25% chance of living. I don't know. You know, those tales yeah. grow, so it's yes. hard to know. But when we were born, I don't remember exactly how much I weighed. We were too much premature. I weighed somewhere around four pounds. But okay. I never remember how much I weighed because my brother is like the real stat. He was one pound, 14 ounces. Wow. Yeah. So he was in the NICU for two months. Okay. I was in for one month. And wow. it's and I think that's really shaped so much of yeah. our family. I mean, that was their first their first kids were uh-huh. those twins, they're kind of the miracle babies, and yeah. Has that affected like the way you two look? So Do you yeah, look a lot different because of so that I described. We have the same features, but okay. I'm I'm taller than he okay. is, um, a little bit faster than he is. You know, and, uh-huh. and but it's funny how that works, right? Because then people find their different niches. I mean. My brother's like a really talented guitarist who's uh-huh. in a band, you know, on the side. Okay. Um, and I don't even play guitar, you know. So it's funny how I would say the way that we started made us very different. Um, so yes, I I went to Straight Jesuit for high school, okay. and I went to St. Lawrence, um, an elementary school in okay. Sugarland, and it's really common for people who go to St. Lawrence to end up going to straight Jesuit, or the boys who go to St. Lawrence who go to straight Jesuit. Okay. My brother, when we were in eighth grade, was like, you know what? I'm just going to go to St. Thomas. Like, I'm doing. I'm going to St. Thomas, rival okay. school. Oh, wow. And so we split. The twins split, <laughs> which we needed because, I mean, we were growing up, and people are getting us confused. We were at the same school from preschool to eighth grade. Oh, and wow. And you have people like, which one's which? I'm like, I wear a white polo every day. He wears a red <laughs> polo every day. How are you guys getting this confused? So it was good for us. But now is it is the difference big enough so that people don't get you too confused? Oh, yeah. Well, I don't think they ever should have. I think they were just too lazy to, to say which one's which. You know, I was always taller and we were very different. But uh-huh. Yeah, I think people, I laugh because he has a similar haircut to me. For a while, we used to keep different hair. He'd have it like really short or really long. And okay. I'd kind of be in between. But right now, people are laughing when... I was home for a little bit because they're like, man, you guys have like the same haircut right now. And I was like, I know, he's, what's what's going on? He joins a band and then he gets a haircut like me? I'm supposed to have long hair. Yeah. So you look different enough that when oh, yeah. 
when let's uh, when you get ordained a priest, he's not able to sneak in and pretend that he's you. And, yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> we don't we don't have to worry about that. And you can't pull a prank on the parish and have him. And I don't think that we'll ever we would ne- we can never pull off in school like the whole switch thing. I, it really? is funny though because the way that I figured out that I needed glasses was my brother and I were joking about that at like a family holiday. And okay. like we were changing clothes and I put on his clothes and his glasses and I ran through the living room and I was like, I can see way better. What's going on? So, <laughs> so he had glasses a little bit before me. But. You always think that you were going to become a priest? Not right? at all. Really? Um, it didn't even cross my mind until high school. Uh, based, and then even then it was a, it was a saga. So I... I liked the faith. Um, I had a general good experience with the faith. Uh-huh. Our, our pastor, Father Drew Wood, is still there. I mean, he was there for most of my childhood, and he was actually parochial vicar before he was pastor of St. Okay. Lawrence, and he was a great guy. And then we had a, a lot of parochial vicars come through St. Lawrence. It's just a big parish. Um, like Father Chaco recently retired. He was kind of a legend when he was there. Just a lot of different priests. And I still remember uh-huh. like Father Phil Lloyd. We had this British priest. He's now at St. Teresa in the park. I remember when he was there. And so a lot of exposure. And so I, I liked the church uh-huh. um, enough. And, you know, I was like, oh, the faith's pretty interesting. But when I went to straight Jesuit, you start studying theology. In my freshman year, I had a professor, teacher, I guess, Father Mark Thibodeau who he taught scripture. Mm-hmm. And I remember it kind of clicked with me. I was like, whoa, this is really important. Um, so in two ways, one, just studying it and seeing how scripture kind of shaped my reality. I was like, oh my gosh, like uh-huh. this isn't just like an interesting thing that we believe in that we can compartmentalize. I'm like, uh-huh. This yes. is the lens that I need to be seeing the world. And so that was one. And then two, he was an amazing priest, just sacramentally. I mean, okay. I mean, in high school, you actually start doing things that you shouldn't be doing. And yes. so I'm going, I remember going to confession with him and I mean, walking out and being like, oh my gosh, I want to be able to give that to people. Uh-huh. You know I mean? I want to be able to just get out of the way and give Jesus's mercy to people. Uh-huh. And so that was when I first started thinking it. I remember he would have us do journal entries kind of in the class about what scripture we were going over or whatever. And at the end, it was kind of like, write whatever you want to write about. And I remember I wrote, I'm interested in the priesthood, which that oh, was wow. kind of the first time I ever written that. But I, let's say I didn't enter right out of high school either. So it ended up being a saga. <laughs> it, it, it was a long road still. It was a very long road. What about your brother? Did, did ever, anybody ever... Talk to him about becoming a priest? There was a while. Between brother priests, you know. So the dynamic of my brother and I, which he'll probably watch this interview, is neither of us can tell each other what to do. Like, that's not... That's not going to work. Okay. You know, you almost have to just hope that they do it. Like <laughs> the second you're like, hey, I know you're going to love this movie. I watched it. You should watch it. It's going to take two years for us to watch it. Really? I mean, that's just how we are. Wow. And so, and so, I mean, I, I was telling him to watch like the NBA for years. My brother didn't even watch sports. And oh, now wow. he is the biggest Rockets fan <laughs> in the world, like bigger than I am. And that, so that's just how our relationship kind of is. So there was a while where I could have seen him like being like a Franciscan or something. He kind of has mm-hmm. that that spirituality, but we'll see. He's still not married. Oh, very devout Catholic. I'm I'm okay. very blessed. So I I'm I'm bad. I haven't talked about my sister yet. I have a younger sister too. Okay. And uh, how much younger? Four and a half years. Okay. Um, she just got married this summer in the church, uh, which was awesome. His father Chad um, did the wedding. Okay. And I deaconed. I preached. 
Nice. So Father Chad would always, he would always say, yeah, I'm doing her wedding. You know, they wanted me to do it. Because technically I could, but not within a mass. Mm-hmm. And so I would always retort, yeah, but they needed a better preacher. So they asked me to preach. And so he's like, oh, come on. <laughs> but it was awesome. I mean, my family's very close with Father Chad because uh-huh. we've been together in seminary for all these yes. years. And so it was really like, oh, here we are. We're here. You know, we're we're doing my sister's wedding. Wow. All our family's here, and it was really fun. So is it just the three of you? Just the three of us. Okay. And we have a relatively small family, um, which is good. We're, we're close-knit. Does your brother feel any sort of pressure to, to carry on the family name now that you're, you know, on the verge of becoming a priest? So it's, I will say, my parents are really cool about that in general, about like okay. the whole family name thing. It's kind of like, do you? Follow God's will. I mean, okay. my, my parents really are like that. Um, I think that's become more refined as they've grown up. But I mean, I had no pressure from my dad when I was looking at the priesthood. Okay. Um, he, you know, he was like, that's cool. I mean, I remember he even said I was looking at religious orders and he was like, man, that's pretty cool. I never really even thought about doing something like that. You know, there was a real admiration there. And so I will say they're just very supportive. You know, whatever our vocation is, follow God's will. Okay. They're so grateful that in this day and age, they somehow have three kids who are really practicing their faith. I mean, I like to joke that my two siblings are the holy ones and I'm going to become the priest. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's and a blessing. And then you've, uh, they've got the grandkids already, yeah. right? How many? So, 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 no, so we have yet. no grandkids yet. Not so my yet. sister oh, just okay. got married this summer. Oh, yeah. So, okay. I'm sorry. So we're, yeah, <laughs> but I'm sure we'll have, we'll have some baptisms on the way and, uh, yeah, right now, all they have is a dog. <laughs> so, <laughs> there you go. There's a grandkid. And, and I preached in the homily. I said, that's not enough. I said. <laughs> Do you think your sister would like hyphenate their last name so there's less pressure on your brother to carry? No. <laughs> Maybe no, you should tell her she that. Wouldn't. She wouldn't. Let's do new age things and let's hyphenate the last name so your brother doesn't no, he open was, up the path for him to, to feel less pressure. No? <laughs> no. It's like I said, like we're... I'm always, one thing I trust about my siblings is they have very high standards. Uh-huh. So we knew, like, my my brother, if he finds a girl, is going to be, like, really into the faith, really, really devout. And we knew that about my sister, too. It was like, okay, she's picky. I mean, she's the type of person who sits there on a first date and is like, this is the way things are going to be. This is how Oh, wow. <laughs> and, and we love, I mean, we love her husband. He's an awesome guy. So That's cool. Thank God. I hope he never watches this video because I don't admit <laughs> that to him face to face. When did you first tell your parents like that you were so, going to become a priest? So they knew. How did you reach that point? They knew yeah. I was interested in high school just because. Uh-huh. So I went to Strake Jesuit, and I would do things like I would go to Grand Coteau, which is kind of this province's center for like vows, masses, okay, and whatnot. And they knew I had a really good relationship with the priests, um, even the ones who Father Mark was actually only there for one year, Father Mark Thibodeau, and then Father Flavio Bravo was there, and I had a good relationship with him, and so they knew that I was involved. You know, they're they're pretty smart. You know, it's okay. like a parent knows when their their child is dating, you know. Okay. okay, what's going on here? You're looking at your phone a lot. Um, <laughs> and so they they knew there was something going on. And then I guess it was in college, skipping forward a little bit. So I I was never going to enter out of high school. I I didn't really want to be a Jesuit. Okay. I love the Jesuits, but I just I didn't want to be teaching really at a high school or university. I didn't really like the idea of that, 
it wasn't really even presented to me that I could apply at a high school. I had really had no idea what I wanted to do, but I was like, A&M has good sports. It's a good school. I'm going to go there. And so when I got to Texas A&M, I didn't realize, I mean, St. Mary's Catholic Center is like the best college student center in the country. I, really? I like knew, I'd heard things about it, but I okay. had no clue. I mean, we were getting there and it's like their last pastor was a bishop and the uh-huh. one that I had there was about to be a bishop and oh. just really both solid guys, Bishop Mike Sis and Bishop David Condola and uh-huh. just the campus because A&M is, has so much tradition, mm-hmm. it just feeds the they're like oh we love aggie traditions we love catholic tradition like this it's very they go together they're very parallel so unbelievably vibrant um community and actually after my sophomore year Mm -hmm. i started looking at a religious order very seriously during my sophomore year i was looking at the norbertines in california and my dad was like i said like oh whatever that scared my mom that i was about to basically commit I really mean, in discernment with them obviously uh-huh. but she was like i'm never going to see you oh. like, <laughs> you're going to be in a cloister which they're pretty active uh-huh. actually i mean they're not like monks or anything yeah. but that was really intense oh. wow like wow I, like you and i love those guys i mean to this day i know a lot of guys who have gone we have two seminarians with brothers with the norbertines mm. um good community and so scaring my mom like that was great. You know, it's it's the whole strategy of, <laughs> hey, like, you, you're going to owe me $2,000. Just kidding. You owe me $100. It's like, oh, thank God. Here's $100. <laughs> so that was kind of my mom. Once it was like, oh, I just hope he goes diocesan. Uh-huh. Hey, I, that'll be great. And so she was cool with it. Did you plan that? No, Sorry. not at all. I think God did, though. My discernment was extremely messy. Um, really? The way that I describe it to people is, I could I could tell one third of my story uh-huh. and convince you that that was what God was calling me to, whether it was marriage, whether uh-huh. it was to the Norbertines, or whether it was to the archdiocese. Oh I wow! Mean, I, there was there was probably two years where I was in real tension. I, wow. I could I just wasn't getting a sign. I was like, what is going on? I don't understand what I'm supposed to be doing. I feel so pulled to all of these things. Okay. You know, I'd feel like I'd read a scripture verse and be like, oh, yeah, this is the way. And then the next day, something oh. weird would happen. You made your spiritual director really work. Oh, huh? it was rough. <laughs> it was really rough. Um, but then I had so much consolation when I entered for the archdiocese. Uh-huh. I just felt like God had kind of just been pulling me back so okay. that I could enter when I entered. I mean, the the guys who were there at that time, uh-huh. the priests who were ahead of me, the guys who entered with me, uh-huh. the guys who would be behind me. I just felt like God was just building me this tremendous support system and consolation after consolation. So let's rewind. High yeah. school, did you date? So in high school, you seem like a very, you know, a very engaging guy, very, you know, um, like an extrovert. So in high school, I was kind of a late bloomer. Really? So I was okay. I was like five three when I was a freshman. Okay. Like hit puberty late, which was wild because I was old for my grade. So, oh. so it was, I mean, thank God. Thank God I was old for my grade. I always say that. I mean, I, I mean, remember I had like a high-pitched voice as a freshman. Like didn't okay. even really realize. I get to this big all-boys high school and I'm like, uh-huh. oh my gosh, like I am not prepared for this. <laughs> I was a big fish in a much smaller pond and uh-huh. I made that transition. And so I was really, I mean, I would go to like homecoming and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember you, you really have to get out there when you're going to straight Jesuits, it's an all-boys school. 
Uh-huh. And so like, there's some girls at um, at St. Agnes across the street. And uh-huh. I remember I dated this one girl. I really wanted to date her. I met her at like a dance. And okay. Going, and I dated her for, I mean, probably three weeks. I remember I, and I kind of even just, it was too much for me. I was like, this is intense. Like, this is a lot of pressure. I can't handle this, you know? And so, <laughs> really? And yeah, um, I don't really know how to describe. I guess I just didn't really realize like you're dealing with a human being. I was I was just so immature. The dynamic. Yeah, of- it's like a, a, a relationship is. It means a lot, and that was something I really understood. Was mm-hmm. I wasn't going to just like date someone for fun. Uh-huh. And so I think when I was dating someone at a point where I wasn't really mature and it wasn't going to go anywhere, I uh-huh. think it was a really weird conflict for me. Okay. I'm kind of a just go go all for it kind of person. Okay. And so that was early on, like freshman sophomore year. And I remember one of my friends started dating a girl. It's funny, I'm, we're in this area right now at St. Faustina, uh, who went to Cinco Ranch. Okay. And we started hanging out with them, and we got real plugged in with their kind of group. And there was definitely a girl who we – there was definitely some mutual attraction there, but it just never – it never worked out. I mean, it was like she was going home to visit family outside the state when we uh-huh. had her homecoming at – her prom at Strake, oh. and which – and the funny thing is we both went to A&M and it just kind of dissolved wow. eventually. I even went to a dance, like a dance with her sorority and stuff, but it just kind of ultimately dissolved. And in college, I did have one pretty serious relationship. So I mentioned I was going to the Norbertines. Yes. So I have no, I can be very honest about this. I was applying for the Norbertines, very into that. Okay. And very end of the year. So it was pretty funny. So I lived in a Catholic household uh, Padre Pio's pad with four other guys it okay. was for two years. It was one of the greatest experiences of my life. Well, that was junior and senior year. Well, we had started planning that sophomore year. Okay. And so when I there, I was kind of like, I think I'm going to go to the Norbertines. And in my heart, I was like, I'm going to the Norbertines. And okay. I, I was trying to let them down easy. We were looking for houses to live in together. I was like, let's just do four bedrooms. Like some, two of us can share thinking when I zip <laughs> out, yeah, they, they won't be totally hosed here. And it, that was like when LeBron James was coming to the heat. So we would like call ourselves the heat. Like we were like assembling this house. And I was like, I'm going to back out. It was a, we were dumb and immature. <laughs> uh, so anyway, I met a girl, I mean, the last possible week. It was raft trip at the end of the year, like the the St. Mary's Catholic Center raft trip. We'd always go to New Braunfels and on rafts, and it was just a really fun day. Well, I met this girl, and I was like, I can't leave. I have to date this girl. Like, oh, even wow. if she doesn't want to date me, I have to date her. And so we ended up dating. And okay. so that was really, I mean, that kept me back. And it was funny. I totally ghosted the vocation director. And he wow. knew. Eventually when I talked to him, he goes, you, you met a girl, you're dating. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> he yeah, knew yeah. that, right? He's um, like, I'm, I'm sure it's happened to him a, a, more than a few times. E- exactly. <laughs> and so in many ways, I'm thankful um, for that period of my life because mm-hmm. I think something that happens to guys in seminary is Satan is really good at doing exactly what he did in the Garden of Eden. It's like, uh-huh. oh, you have all of these things, but you d- you can't eat from that tree. Mm. And then the lie that we tell ourselves is that I can o- not only have all these things, but I can also eat from that tree. Yes. Which, as we know, that's not what happens to Adam and Eve, right? Uh-huh. Like, it all goes, <laughs> yeah. goes to hell, basically, <laughs> after that. And so, for me to kind of be discerning very seriously and then be like, man, I want to date this girl. And mm-hmm. it going really well. I mean, it was a really good relationship. 
but also being like, man, that's not what I'm being called to. I mean, my vocation is the priesthood. She knew it. We had really honest conversations about it. Okay. Now it's knowing it and like being able to feel it and persevere in that are two different things. I mean, that was that was a little bit of a mess. <laughs> we'll skip through some of that. <laughs> um, as all my close friends would from college would know, it was a it was a tough discernment. Really, but yeah, I mean, looking back, I'm so grateful I had that. I think God had to give me that. Okay, I know that you would love to be married. I know that you would love to have a family. Uh I know that you can have great relationships with women. Uh That's fine, but I'm asking you to give that up. And I think for me, I had, and maybe I don't get enough credit now because I had to be really shown to God that I needed to give it up. I didn't just give it up blindly. Like I can do it. I love you, Jesus. No, that wasn't it. I mean, was there a moment when that happened? I had to, I when we were dating, I had to feel that feeling of I'm not doing God's will. I mean, God, God doesn't when you're when you're praying and you're not doing God's will, uh-huh. He doesn't have to yell at you. It's just this nagging. Okay, it's just this nagging. Um, so I remember when I broke up from that relationship. It was it was pretty mutual. Just feeling so free in that day, um, and even going to seminary, being just so free to do God's will. And then the wonderful reality is you get to seminary and everybody's got these stories. I mean, everybody's, <laughs> it's awesome. You know I mean? The, they say, I miss, I wasn't in college seminary because I entered after college, but the joke about college seminary is it's just a bunch of guys talking about girls. You know, it's like, <laughs> oh man, it's so tough. This is such a hard life, which a lot of guys don't make it through college seminary. They end uh-huh. up discerning out. But yeah, you, you're surrounded by guys who, they, we're giving it up together. You know I mean? Celibacy, is an individual call, but we're also doing it as brothers. Mm-hmm. And we're, we we see the mission and we realize it's a mission that we can't have unless we give that up. Because that's something that people will ask me. They'll say, what about, do you, don't you just wish you could be a married priest? Uh-huh. And my response is, I look at my favorite saints, Padre Pio, John Vianney, uh-huh. Philip Neri, and I think that guy could have not have been an incredible saint in the way he was if he was married. He'd be a neglectful husband and a neglectful father. Uh-huh. And so Or the other way around. It, or exactly. Or yeah. <laughs> or he wouldn't have been that great of a priest. So the obviously like we have situations where guys are doing it and they say the same thing. That tension is so tough. And so for me, mm-hmm. I'm so glad for the gift of celibacy, the way it allows me to enter into lives of people, families, and not have this like, oh my gosh, like, am I like emotionally cheating on my wife? It's like, no, like, this is the church. Like, I'm serving the church. I'm not going to the hospital. I mean, I'm not doing that yet. I'm a deacon right now, but I'm not going to the hospital to anoint somebody while my kid is sick with a fever at home. Uh, Yes. That's nice. Uh Uh-huh. So you said that it was that became apparent to you. How did it become apparent to her? I think she uh, she was very I mean very Catholic girl. She still is, and I think she was she could kind of sense it. And she she didn't want no one wants to be in the way of God's will. You know, uh-huh. I mean, you just don't want to. Uh-huh. I mean, I have a friend who he'll when he's asking somebody to do something, he'll say, "Hey, will you do this?" And they're like, "No." And it's like, "Will you do it if it's God's will?" And everybody goes, "Yes." You know, and uh-huh. and that's kind of how I think her um, outlook on the situation was. Like, if this is God's will, I need to get out of this. And to be fair, 
she was dating somebody who was very close to entering a religious community. Yes. To be a priest. Uh-huh. And so I think for her, she was kind of treading lightly. Mm. Um, yeah. I, that, that's pretty tough. I mean, uh, you would think that, that some people would be like, oh, I want to. I want to go with my will, you know. So, and that's uh, that. That must have been a struggle for her as well. Yeah, and I think not everybody will admit this, but I think that's just the human problem: is when you're only following your will. Yes, there's just there's an emptiness there. Yes, and I was so aware of that emptiness that I just couldn't do it. Mm. I was like, I can't do this. This is crazy. You hit that right on the head. There was a period in my life when I was only following my will, and oh boy, that sent me on the wrong path. For a while. <laughs> and, and I say sometimes, I wish, I think like the Catholic Church would, would evangelize even better if we could measure statistically peace and joy. Because if people mm. knew their interior peace that I have every day and the joy that I have, being confident that I'm following God's will— and obviously, there's little ways where I'm completely denying as well. I'm going to be very clear. I'm very far from being a saint, but uh-huh. it's incredible. I mean, there's just times where I'm like, I am so at peace with what I'm being asked to do, and I'm so thankful for all that God has given me. Mm. I mean, I don't get to have the friendships that I have right now without making that sacrifice, without choosing to be a priest, without following God's call to be a priest. I mean, I... There's a lot of people who want to be really close to Father David Michael Moses, Father Chad Henry. Uh-huh. You know how you get really close to them? You do it with them. You know, I mean, you're you're walking as an apostle with those guys. Uh-huh. And it's beautiful. I mean, it is a great life. And I'm so thankful for it. So what, at what point in your college did you break up or was it after? So we broke up, uh, it was complicated. So we initially broke up late. So it was an on and off It was like period. late junior year, but okay. I mean, we went to ring dance together, which is like the senior year ring dance. So that okay. kind of tells you it wasn't a clean break. Okay. Um, and that, yeah, we don't really talk anymore. I mean, we, every once in a while, just like, hey, I hope you're doing well. Uh-huh. You know, but that's. You don't Facebook stalk her. We don't. No. <laughs> I, we're, we're not even Facebook friends. Really? Which is pretty edgy. But, oh wow! I'm I'm kind of on and off Facebook these days. Oh. I I get off pretty often. I. <laughs> well, you were talking about you know measuring peace and joy, and you, on social media you can't see that. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, the, people flaunt things on social media, but you can't show. Oh, this is how at peace I am right now. And there's no media. way to prove it, right? Yeah. I mean, so so many of us kind of get focused on the externals, like, wow, they look really happy. Uh-huh. And I mean, I think priests know more than anybody, you know, they're probably <laughs> looking through timelines and being like, man, I know, like what, the, like, man, that marriage looks so happy on Instagram and uh-huh. I know that couple, you know I mean? And I can't say anything, but of yeah, course, it's, yeah. yeah, it's interesting how it's very hard in some ways to communicate joy. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I think all the time I'm in so many situations, I'm like, wow, we are just, so happy. Everybody has their phones away. Uh-huh. We're just enjoying our company, talking about the good things, talking about Jesus. Like, this is what heaven's going to be like. Uh-huh. And it's hard. And we got to show people that. We got to. And I think podcasts like this are really good. I think people can see the joy that so many of your guests have. And they're like, oh, there's something there. Now, you broke up after in the middle of senior year after that ring dance yeah ish. sometime after yeah, that yeah okay I, of course you know breakups aren't, aren't always yeah, so we clean, weren't officially so. dating when we went to ring dance like there were some people who were pretty upset i think about that but <laughs> I'll, I'll use a 
I told because I was so unsure. I mean, so it's I like, was, are you back together? No, you're not. And some yeah, of this yeah, is my that fault. Type of thing. You know, okay. I mean, I remember telling my roommates, I was like, I'm gonna ask her to ring dance. I know uh-huh. it's stupid, and I was like, but <laughs> I was like, I really think like if I'm gonna get married, it's probably gonna be to her. So uh-huh. if it works out. I want to tell my kids I went to ring dance with their mom. You know, it, it was kind of like that a calculated decision. And uh, now I'm very, I'm very confident. And God has given me so much consolation, so much peace, so much joy, which is what He does. And uh-huh. you know, I think the lie that we'll hear, you know, the lie from the enemy is, "Wow, this decision is really hard, and how hard it is today is going to be every day for the rest of your life." Uh-huh. And the reality is, when we have faith in God, when we trust mm-hmm. His will. He will reward us beyond measure for saying yes. So, and I've experienced that firsthand. At least it happened in senior year. You don't yeah. have to really interact with each other after graduation. Exactly. Oh yeah, that, yeah, oh right? yeah, and yeah. That's been that's made things much easier. So after graduation, you went straight into the seminary. No, so no. I was so I I was working. Um, it was weird because I still was like, should I go to the Norbertines? Uh-huh. Should I date? I mean, it was really complicated. That was a that was a really challenging few years, really years of desolation. And the way that I, at the time, I had no idea what was going on. I mean, I remember one time driving and being like, God, what am I supposed to do? Like, what? I'm, I just need a sign. I think uh-huh. I was literally like, Mary, tell me, what to do? What uh-huh. am I supposed to do in my life? <laughs> and I, I wasn't even praying to rosary every day. I had no right to be yelling at Mary. And... Uh, <laughs> Event and so, looking back at that moment, I think it gave me the perseverance I needed when I got to seminary. I think I'm the type of person who, if I had just glided right into seminary, uh-huh. some of kind of the difficulties that I experienced with the adjustment okay. um, of life, I think I would have been like, ah, I don't like this. I would have compounded things. And it, and it would have been a bad discernment. I mean, okay. I, so funny story, Father Dat, when uh-huh. I I had been in discussions with him in college when I was talking to the Norbertines too. Oh. So maybe sophomore, junior, I guess sophomore year, I was talking with him and he wanted me to leave college. He was like, you need to come. <laughs> and it was funny because when I did my interview, he was on the board and, and they all heard my story. He uh-huh. heard my story and he hears, I mean, just all of this stuff. I mean, I had a 16-page autobiography. Wow. So here's all of this stuff. He's read all this stuff. And he's uh-huh. like, wow, this is wild. Like everything that's happened before. But it was funny because when I walked in at first, he was like, I can't believe you're back. Like, I want credit for you if you come because <laughs> vocation directors are like that. Yeah. Um, but for me, I knew that I needed to experience what I experienced, um, kind of the difficulty, the unbelievable desire to be in seminary. I okay. mean, I almost felt like I threw it away at one point. I really, really almost felt like I had just been too much of a perpetual discerner. Like I wasn't moving towards a career, like really felt in this weird space. And so when I entered, I remember being like, thank you, Jesus. I will never complain, which I did never complained for about a week. So <laughs> <laughs> how long was the gap after graduation before uh, I entering guess three, seminary? I guess three, I entered th- three years, I think three years. Okay. So, so what, what, what yeah. did you graduate as? And so I, so I was as? a philosophy major okay. at a So while I was in college, when I was dating, cause when you're, when you know, you're kind of called to the priesthood uh-huh. and, you, and then you're like, well, I'm not going to be a priest. What am I going to do? Uh-huh. Like, oh, I'll go study theology. I'll go to get a PhD in theology. Okay. So I was like, well, 
I know from seminary that if I go to seminary, I need to study philosophy to study theology. Yes. So I was like, okay, I'm going to study philosophy and then go to some grad program. But let's be real. I was lying to myself. I was never going to do that. I mean, Uh you know, but it was funny because that ended up getting me a year off seminary. So even though I entered a little bit late. Uh So yeah, so I was working in a at a company like doing like shipping distribution type stuff, which was funny because it was all guys, uh-huh. which was such a blessing because we totally broke the policy. Like don't talk about religion and politics at work. That was like all <laughs> we were ever talking about. Like, and so they knew none of them were surprised when I was going to seminary. You know, okay. I mean, they, were, they, they, we had been round after round <laughs> on all kinds of religious debates. We talked every oh, line, wow. of, line of scripture. Wow. That's kind of the way I, I am and was and, in reality, why I never could have been anything but a priest. I mean, I uh-huh. really, God, in so many ways, was like, here's your kind of toolkit. Here's uh-huh. what you love. Here's what you have a passion for. Uh-huh. And for me, ever even pretending that I could do something else. And these guys, they weren't Catholic. No, no, I didn't work. Some so of that, them are falling away. Okay. Some of them are falling away. And it was funny. I mean, they would, they, it was all kind, it was wild. I mean, these guys would be like, man, like me, I mean, Without getting to it, me and my girlfriend have been doing pretty well. You know, we're trying to be chased, you know, like uh, stuff <laughs> like that. Just fun. It, it was there was like the, kind of this Catholic guilt that they had uh-huh, just uh-huh. with me talking uh-huh. to them and stuff. It was really fun, that, and that was a blessing. Um, and it was even funny. I mean, one of the guys who worked in that warehouse, uh-huh. his best friend had entered seminary out of high school and is now a priest in the diocese of Austin. Uh-huh. And so it was just funny him kind of bringing up that. So it really is a small world. And there were a lot of little reminders when that was going on, but God is good. So when you told your family you're going to enter the seminary after that three-year gap, so, were they finally like, oh, finally, so they were relieved, around the bush? Or? <laughs> um, they were relieved. The funny thing is I had still... I think I was kind of having the strategy of I didn't want them to worry about something that wasn't going to happen or okay. anything. So I I was still that year a little bit thinking religious life, a little bit thinking diocesan. And I just okay. kind of, my spiritual director was basically like, just start moving and see what happens. Okay. And so I was working in College Station actually at the time, and I, which was complicated because I knew I wanted to apply for Galveston Houston. Okay. And so I emailed the vocation director, Father TJ, and I said, Hey, I'm very, I really want to meet with you. I'm serious about trying to apply this year. I kind of laid everything out. Mm-hmm. The only issue is I don't have a lot of vacation days. I'm willing to drive on a day, meet you on the weekend, whenever we can uh-huh. make it work. Yeah. And he goes, Oh, that's hilarious. I'm going to be at St. Mary's Catholic Center tomorrow. Oh, wow. Like visiting with some guys. I'll just add you. When can you, you know? And uh-huh. so it was, that right there was a huge sign for me. Um, and then I kind of never looked back from that point. And so once it was more positive, I remember my parents being like, so like, have you been talking to Father TJ? I think it came up like through mutual friends that they had known. I've been okay. talking to him. And I was like, yeah, what's that? You know, it was kind of playing coy. Uh-huh. And then once I got accepted, I was like, yeah, I'm going to seminary. What was your brother like about it? He was he was happy. I mean, I th- so what was wild though was a little bit after I came, he decided to move to Dallas. So that's something I haven't mentioned. My family, while I was at Texas A and M, moved okay. to the diocese of Dallas. I live in Rockwall. Okay. And so it's technically when I was applying, I had perfectly good reasons to go to the diocese of Dallas, the diocese of Austin, where uh-huh. so much of my, my vocation had been fed in college. Okay. Or Galveston, Houston, but. I just love Houston. 
I mean, I'm a huge sports fan. I I love the Rockets. I hate the Texans. I'm a huge sports fan. Uh, I love the Astros. You really hate the Texans? Well, they're just so frustrating. Oh, I'm just, well, yeah. You know, I'm like, that way, yeah, you they, they just waste my... And it's hard. On Sundays, we don't get to watch many games anyway. Um, but anyway, so I I, ha- I really relate with Houston. I have a ton of friends in uh-huh. Houston. A lot of Aggies moved to Houston afterwards, mm-hmm. so... For me, I kind of told my parents, I really hope you move back. You know, I t- tell that to my brother and sister, like, find jobs in Houston, come back to Houston. Uh-huh. And if they do, I'm going to be very happy. But it's nice to have made a decision that I really believe is following God's will and be very happy in Houston, even uh-huh. without any of my immediate family here. Uh-huh. I do have my uncle here okay. and, his, and his two boys. Um, but yeah. So you enter the seminary. Yeah. Are you all in after that? So, thank God. God works so well. So, most people don't do all their seminary at one place. Okay. So, I went to St. Mary's Seminary to do pre-theology. And the plan at that time was to do two years. Okay. But it was a little weird because I had a degree in philosophy. And I remember one of my, like my first week in seminary, they had me meet with the dean of philosophy at University of St. Thomas. And I remember walking out of that meeting and going, I'm only going to do one year. I knew it. I didn't tell anybody, uh-huh. but he, we were going over everything I went. He was asking me questions and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I could just see him like, you don't need to take this. And I oh, was wow. like, oh, okay. This is going to be a weird situation, which I, there's about to be a new program for priestly formation. I wouldn't get away with that in five years from now, I think, but I made it through. <laughs> I made it, I'm, I'm sliding in. Um, so for me, I got to the seminary and I mean, I was so happy immediately. So that was Father Chad's first year at the seminary and him and I became really close. I had a bunch of other really close classmates, some guys who weren't like Deacon Jacob and I, Uh we'll see if you have him on the show eventually. He and I did not get along my first year, really, which we're now we're classmates. We're getting ordained together and we're super close, (laughs) but just... Funny. I'll ask him about that because yeah, he is should, scheduled to be on oh, the show. He, he, loves, he loves to talk about it. We just <laughs> love to joke about it. And then Father uh, Richard asked us to drive up to Omaha together, a 16-hour car drive. That's okay. a really good way to either increase your dislike for somebody or decide <laughs> to really like them. And Thankfully, we decided to really like each other. So, yeah. So, I remember just being in the seminary and being like, wow, this is so fun. I mean, okay. a couple of my best friends, unfortunately, have left the seminary since then mm-hmm. from that year. But, I mean... I was so happy and so glad that I was in Houston. There was definitely some difficulty in adjusting. Um, being a seminarian is kind of tough. I mean, you're in your mid twenties and you're like, ugh, like they're telling me what to do all the time. It's like <laughs> I can't get away. Like I feel guilty asking to go to a wedding of my good friends. Like uh-huh. it's a shock factor for oh. sure. You know, they 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 own they control you in a way that like. A, an employer doesn't control. Okay. And then also when you're getting really frustrated with them or certain things, you can't be like, maybe I'll start looking at different jobs. You know, uh-huh. yeah, there's nowhere else. <laughs> you're like, no, my bishop wants me to be here. I'm going to be here. So right. it took me a while to kind of understand kind of obedience and God's uh-huh. will, but I did, I loved it. I mean, I, I never really considered leaving for a day. I think for me, the main theme of my seminary has been, I need to keep getting holier. Like there's a real pressure there. You know, I, the people deserve a holy priest. And so just because I've heard in, heard in prayer that I'm called uh-huh. to the seminary, I can't just sit here for six, seven years and then be a priest and be the priest that the world needs. 
Like, that's not how it works. I mean, I'm going to have to pray. I'm going to have to uh-huh. suffer. I'm going to have to suffer well. I'm going to have to love well. Mm-hmm. And so there's luckily so many great role models at the seminary. I mean, holiest men I've ever met in my life I met at the seminary. So Some of the pre- uh, previous guests that we had, they, they struggled yeah. with their discernment. We even had a, um, uh, one of your friends, a guest that, uh, who discerned out. Mm-hmm. And did you how, – how was your relationship with them watching those guys have a, a difficult time and you said that you had a great time? So I always say there's two – I tell guys who enter the seminary that there's two types of discernments or two types of discernouts. Okay. There's the guys who get really miserable, stop praying, uh-huh. hate everything, and they're like, man, this will be way better when I leave. And it never is. Okay. Like then it's like, oh dang, I still need to like address what I need to address. Uh It had nothing to do with seminary. Okay. And those ones you never like. I mean, unfortunately that happens. There's guys who I don't know if they're being attacked and they should be priests, but just ugly discernments. They kind of leave and you're like, man, there's like no peace. There's no consolation there. Mm -hmm. Like if it's God's will, you should be able to have some peace in prayer. Yes. And then you have the guys who you start seeing like in the chapel for two hours every day. They're really battling. Mm-hmm. They're really asking God, what do I need to do? And then they leave and they're they're loving their life. They're loving the time that they had in the seminary. It was a difficult decision. It's difficult uh-huh. to, for your relationships to change somewhat. I mean, uh-huh. it's just, I wish it wasn't this way. And I'm still close with some guys who left seminary, uh-huh. but you're always going to be close with the guys who stayed. You know, I mean, it, there's just a connection that you have. Yes. And a there's things that you can laugh about and things that you can talk about when you're living the same life. Yes. You know, it's the same way why married couples get along with married couples. You know, they, they can talk about their kids <laughs> and what's going on with them. Shared it's experiences. Like, it's, yes, exactly. exactly. Um, there's, there's a lot there. We always ask this of our, our guests, seminary life pranks. Seminary life pranks. So I've been watching your videos and I was so <laughs> upset that Father Chad did not share his prank on the show, which was unbelievably amazing. I oh, was, boy. I was going to withhold the name, but I'm not that prudent. So <laughs> he... Let's hear it. When he was a deacon in Fourth Theology, his last year of seminary, okay. they had such an easy year because it was during the COVID lockdown. So we were we were in a bubble. Okay. So typically, transitional deacons are going out to the parish on weekends. Yes. So you kind of have one foot. I'm going to Sacred Heart and Conroe this year. Uh-huh. And so you have one foot kind of in both places. You always feel like you're not at either one enough. And uh-huh. sounds, but with the bubble, the deacons weren't going to the parishes on the weekends mm-hmm. because we didn't want COVID to come in. Yes. And it meant the deacons had tons of free time. And it actually ended up being awesome for the house. So we had a brand new rector and it was, we were having hangouts, uh-huh. movie nights, game <laughs> nights. I mean, it was just really good for the house. Uh-huh. Well, Father Chad Henry had a little, Deacon Chad Henry at the time, had a little bit too much time on his hands. So <laughs> as everybody knows, every seminarian knows that the only reason you actually check the mailbox is to see if the Knights of Columbus have sent you a check. <laughs> That's, I mean, <laughs> we, you, there is no greater feeling than that unexpected, like, oh, wow, this is sweet. You know, oh, man, some, some extra money. It's so a relief like, for you. I can pay for gas. Funds, and, yeah. And so he came up with this plan to draft a letter. It totally forged, totally forged. He made a letter that looked like it was from a Knights of Columbus council. Okay. And it it's... It talked about there being this special scholarship that they were oh, no. going to start awarding. Um, 
And he sent this to Deacon Jacob. Yeah, I'll just say Deacon Jacob. He sent oh, this to boy. And it was like, we want to give you this thousand dollar scholarship. Come in the next couple months, and then you can collect it. Um, if you can't come, we'll just mail you the check. Just give us a call at this number. Okay. And the number was, of course, Chad Henry's number. Deacon Chad Henry's <laughs> number. And so I, I have a video of this. It was so funny. So he, Father Chad. Put, I mean, has all the branding. It looks so official. Like the letterhead and all of that. Sends it through the mail. Okay. And Ch- these deacons have tons of free time in their hands. So he sees when the mail comes in. He sees it in Deacon Jacob's uh-huh. box. And so we're walking back from class. It's like four o'clock. And he goes, he goes, oh, I'm going to check my mail. That's Deacon Chad says, I'm going to check my mail, which is for any students, oh, I might as well check mine. Uh-huh. And so Jacob walks <laughs> through and he's like, oh, sweet. I got something from the night. It's probably a check, you know, just right into his lair, um, co- comes in his room. And then Chad just kind of like call him, like you just call, like just kind of casual. Uh-huh. And we all kind of, there's multiple of us who know about this. Okay. And I mean, he, so he starts to call him and he's annoyed because Deacon Chad, he's real serious, but he's he is a huge troll. I mean, he's like jumping up and down. Uh-huh, like he, uh-huh. so Jacob kicks him out of his room, and then Chad, now Father Chad, is just standing at the door, and I'm there filming, and you just he, you can hear the phone ringing, and you just watch, you just watch him take <laughs> his phone out of his hand. Deacon Chad take his uh-huh. phone out of his hand, and he picks up and he goes, "Hello, Jacob," and then you can hear Deacon Jacob go. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Like you can hear it through the door and he won't open the door. He's so mad. I mean, and Father Chad's jumping up and down in the hall yelling. Yo, I mean, it's oh, like doing like running man in the uh-huh, hall. Uh-huh. And finally he opens the door and Jacob just kind of gives him like this high five. Oh, he was mad for two weeks after that. He was so upset with him. So here he was. He thought that oh, yeah. he he had a $1,000 oh, yeah. scholarship. Yes. So he was, he's looking at it. Okay. My my finances are. Oh, our taken joke care was he'd or... already spent five hundred dollars on Amazon. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, it was a good day. And then he calls up the phone, and, and it's, it's and I mean chat. it was so man. I mean he came up with a fake name. It was like Frank oh. Dowling. Like he signed it. I mean this oh, looked wow. so legitimate. So I just can't imagine <laughs> the the moment. That Jacob call that he picks up and he hears Chad on the phone. It's like you just got me so good. Oh wow! So wow. Did he do previous pranks on him leading up to that? So they those two are always just kind of joshing each other. So <laughs> Jacob is always he always says the undergrad. He calls him the undergrad all the time. He started doing that when Chad was in college seminary at the University of Dallas Holy okay. Trinity Seminary. But he calls him that to this day. Really? I mean, he's an ordained priest. He's like undergrad, just giving him a hard time. That's hilarious. So, yeah. I, I, and I notice how you, do you have that difficulty? You, you know, you're used to calling them by their first name and then Oh, yeah, yeah, right. I was, having, I was like, De- he's a deacon now, but he wasn't a deacon then. And he was a deacon then, but he's a father now. Yeah, I'm having a hard time telling the story. Oh, yeah, it's tough. And especially because with each other, we don't call each other. So, But we try when we're in front of people. You yes. know? So I try to say Deacon David Michael when I'm with young adults at St. Faustina, but sometimes, or sorry, Father David Michael, I just messed up already. You know? <laughs> um, it's complicated for sure, especially we have, we're deacon for a year, 13 months. So, but behind closed doors, just first names. Yeah, typically with kind of your contemporaries. Now, when you're in seminary, 
and a guy becomes deacon, you like to call him. Like, it's cool. It's, and a guy yeah. becomes priest. Yeah, it's yeah, of course. initially you're kind of doing it just like to uh-huh. a, a little tip of the hat, you know, Father David Michael. It's just fun to say. Uh-huh. And then the other joke is that people, like once you get ordained, you call priest, you stop calling priest father. And so, uh-huh. so you know, F- Father Chad talks about like with our vocation director, Father Richard being like, How's it going, Richard? <laughs> like right when he got ordained. I think he might have said it like in the blessing line. Oh, that would have been hilarious in the yeah. blessing line. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> and I think like he told Father Drew Wood, I think he said, I guess I can call you Drew now. And he goes, please do, <laughs> Father Drew. So, That's hilarious. You got the cameras on you, people yeah. taking pictures and oh, everything. Man. And then you say I, things like that. And we all look forward to that day. <laughs> I mean, it's going to, I mean, I cannot wait. I mean, you just... Obviously, uh-huh. it's really just the beginning. But when you're in seminary, you just cannot wait until your ordination day. I mean, there's times where I'm like in prayer. It might be like a holy hour that I'm even serving. And I'll catch uh-huh. myself thinking about that day and almost oh, tearing up. Wow. And it's like, oh, man, he must be in deep prayer. And it's like, no, I'm just thinking about the greatest day of my life. Because <laughs> you talk to priests and they uh-huh. love ministry. But they're like, man, just that day, just the unbelievable high yeah. Of entering into the priesthood is hard to beat. That's the wedding day. Yeah, it is That's the awesome. wedding day for y'all. Yeah. So in, in this area right now, so with with uh, Father Chad that's that weird area because you're contemporaries, but you're not a priest yet. Yes. So it's still Father Chad right now. Well, I call, I mean, I call him Chad. We're so close. I call it's him been Chad years to his face. In front of know. people, yeah. I try to do my best to say Father Chad. I uh-huh. really try because I don't want people to hear me say it and be like, "Oh, he's just Chad." It's like, no, he's a priest. <laughs> but he, they he trolls me. I mean, when because there's obviously a difference between a priest and a deacon. So we'll be at situations like we're eating dinner or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he's like, Chris, let me give this a real blessing. You know, <laughs> so it's just that, that kind of stuff. It's like, it's cool. That's it's, hilarious. Yeah. There's, <laughs> Step aside. And then all kind of joke, like try to like sneak one in, you know, I don't think he got your food. I got you, you know. That's hilarious. So the, the dynamic now, let's say with your friends who've mm-hmm. discerned out, that's mm-hmm. a different, yeah. thing now completely because you can joke now with the the guys who have eventually become deacons uh, transitional deacons and priests but that's kind of a weird territory with your friends who've discerned out huh? oh for sure um so i i've got a couple really close friends who i still talk to a lot who have discerned out and one of them he's getting married uh in april father chad's doing the wedding i'm deaconing and then a bunch of clergy are coming you know i think father david michael is going to come it's going to be a really fun they were smart to do a friday night wedding that's good for priests <laughs> yeah other people are like why is this wedding on friday night and he's having all of his old clergy be able to come and so, so friday night is a good time to get priests oh yeah because sat- saturday is so tough you know with the vigil masses and confessions at a okay. lot of places and then they need to be back for sunday morning yes. like friday you can kind of do some okay. traveling on Saturday morning and piece things together. So oh, I was talking to Father David Michael. I think that day he told me he has like two weddings. And I was like, dude, let's just drive together. We're going we're gonna to leave at like four in the morning. We'll be back by the weddings. I'll drive you. It's going to be a blast. So, so yeah, it's fun to support guys like that. Uh-huh. They're still big time in the faith. And, but it's definitely a different dynamic. You know, um, one of my guys always jokes like, I'm so, he was still struggling with his discernment because he was really only in for a year. Mm-hmm. And he'd be like, I'm so glad that we had a conversation and you told me I'm not called to the priesthood so I can lay that to rest. He would joke about that. I'm like, I did not tell you that, <laughs> Kyle. His name's Kyle, funny guy. And uh, 
Yeah, it, it's fun. It's fun. So we try to keep those friendships up because we're we're building a kingdom, right? I yes. Mean, there, if the priesthood, if the high priesthood of Jesus Christ stops with priests, there's no point. Like a priest is yeah. not a priest for himself, you know? And so mm-hmm. they're very happy for us. It's fun to have them at ordinations and it's good. One thing that I think it was, if I'm not mistaken, um, Father uh, Joseph, when he was on the show as a deacon, he talked about a certain type of mourning period or how hurtful it is for when when somebody discerns out. Did you go through that watching your friends oh, discern yeah. out? Oh, so so the two guys I'm the closest with, they mm-hmm. both left the summer after my first year, and I didn't see either one of them coming. I mean, it oh, rocked wow. me. It rocked me. I mean, I remember going in the next year, and because I was going to the first theology, you have a bunch of guys join your class who mm-hmm. did their pre-theology or college at different places. Mm-hmm. And I was just like this jaded person. You know, I mean, I was trying to, but I was like almost not investing in them as much because I was like my two of my best friends, like basically my four best friends that first year, two of them left. Wow. And I was like, oh, this is brutal. I do not, and I didn't expect it. Both uh-huh. of them were guys who were kind of going through some things and whatnot, but because uh-huh. so much of that discernment happened in the summer, which we're not in the seminary in the summer. Yes. And so we're all at different assignments and whatnot, and I wasn't uh-huh. with them. It really blindsided me. Wow. Um, but it's funny how God works, right? Because that first year, Father Chad and I were kind of part of like a three-man, there were kind of three of us. I mean, we went on spring break together uh-huh. up to St. Louis and stuff. And it's like he... One leaves, and then Father David Michael gets back from his pastoral year. Uh-huh. And, you know, then I'm getting to know him super well. And it's just funny. I mean, God, I, I'm starting to finally learn, not not an act of faith, but just from sheer data of my past, that uh-huh. when bad things happen, Jesus is going to redeem it. You know, whether it's he's going to teach me a lesson, whether it's going to make me be closer to him, whether he's going to teach me something about myself. I mean, uh-huh. you have some guys who they leave and they remind you a lot of yourself. And then you can keep talking to them when they leave. And it's like, man, this is a good dry run for what it would be like if I left. You know, I mean, which uh-huh. is crazy uh-huh. to think. We were like, yeah. okay, good. Okay, I think I want to leave. I don't want to leave. And like I said, I never really truly wanted to leave. There were times where I was like, not being in seminary would be nice. Uh-huh. But I never, I was never like, am I not being called to be a priest? That's just... I can imagine the pain because you go in and probably that whole year you're talking about, we're going to become priests together. We're going to become yeah. deacons together. Next thing you know, we're going to go to our different you know parishes and you, you have all these dreams about what you guys are going to do as new priests. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, boom, all of that is crushed. Exactly. Yeah. Do they tell you early on, hey, look around, not all of you are going to make it, be prepared to lose some of these guys? Do they I, tell you? I think it's that? it's a weird dynamic. Cause I've heard somebody say, I've heard a priest say like, vocations are like baby turtles. Like it's hard to get them ashore sometimes. Oh. And so <laughs> they're really worried to even plant the idea oh. of leaving with some of these guys. Cause okay. especially guys who are in, entering out of high school. I ha- I'm not one of those people who's like, people shouldn't enter out of high school. In uh-huh. my opinion, some of the very best priests, some of the best saints enter out of high school. Uh-huh. But just the pressure from the culture is so heavy. It's like, if you enter out of high school, you're like, man, I'm, 
I'm going to be a priest. I'm already making this huge decision. Yes. My reality is changing. Uh-huh. And you get that. You get that affirmation for a year. And then maybe your second year, your best friend from high school is dating this really awesome girl. And you're like, wow, he's going to get married. <laughs> and by your fourth, fifth year, he's starting to have kids. You know, like their uh-huh. kids are getting baptized. He's got two kids. You're still in seminary wearing a polo shirt at the parish. <laughs> it's wild. I mean, so guys who enter high school are almost making their career decision, which is obviously bigger than that, but their vocational decision early, but then mm-hmm. they have to wait nine years. It's a long time. Wow. And so I think, yeah, that's that's definitely the dynamic there where you want to encourage those guys. Because I truly believe I've seen guys who should have who should have stayed and it was just too much. Oh wow. Yeah. How close did you come? What was the closest that you ever came to calling it? quits or discerning out? I mean, really haven't come close. I would say, I mean, probably that, probably that second year, just having friends leave Uh um, initially and just being frustrated. And it was a weird time for the church. Like there was a lot of scandal going on. Okay. And I think it was, and again, it would have been, it's hard to talk about like if I had left because it would have been such a bad decision. It wouldn't, it would have been irrational. I mean, really? I didn't have the logical reasons. There was, God wasn't telling me to leave, you know? And there's something that I always tell people. So St. Ignatius has his rules of discernment and okay. there's 12 of them, I think, but it, don't worry about that. Worry about rule number five. Rule number five is when you're in a period of desolation, do not make any major changes. So I think people not knowing that rule is just oh. destroying us because so uh, when you're in a period of desolation, basically what you're saying is I'm having a hard time hearing the voice of God at best. At worst, man, the enemy is really influencing me right now. There's your period of desolation. Well, so many people's reaction to being in that is I'm going to make a change and see if it gets better. Mm. which is the worst thing you can do. So I think in seminary, a lot of times that can be the decision you make and it's just such a bad one. So for me, the couple times where it's crossed my mind at all to leave seminary, it's been when I'm in situations of desolation, which the reality is, what are you actually supposed to do? What does St. Ignatius tell you to do? It says, ramp up your prayer mm-hmm. and keep doing all the good things that you're doing and you'll make it through. Power through. Power through. Did you ever talk to some of those guys at the Serend Out and say to them, hey, you know, why don't you try to give it another shot? Oh, yeah. I'm a, I'm a salesman. I mean, so <laughs> I, I tell people that's another reason I went, when I told you I had my coworkers who weren't Catholic, mm-hmm. and they'd be like, why do you want to be a priest? And I would, I would just make it very simple. I said, I have a salesman's personality, uh-huh. and there's nothing better that I can be selling than Jesus and the Catholic Church. It is the best product to sell. That's why I want to be a priest. I mean, it is great. Jesus has all this grace he wants to give you through his church. Let me sell that. And so it's the same thing for seminary. I mean, I love to pitch guys, which I've joked that I need to stop doing that so hard because we'll have guys who will enter. Uh-huh. We, we legitimately had a guy who entered the archdiocese and he ended up switching to a different diocese and then he entered a, a religious community. But when he was switching to a different diocese, uh-huh. our vocation director said, why did you enter? And he was like, 
Chris Meyer convinced me. <laughs> so my my joke is I can sell anybody as much as I want at the uh-huh. front door, but the problem is they're going to be praying and in communication with God, and uh-huh. I can't beat that. Yeah. You know, no 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 sales pitch can can keep somebody persevering through that. Uh-huh. So. so I can actually see you working in the vacations office. I hope that I can aid somebody and i my goal is to be at a parish and just like zipping people through like i said father david michael i'm gonna be helping you out i'm gonna be showing up to your vocation <laughs> events when you're vocation director but it's hard to be vocation director you don't have a home uh, you're homeless yeah you know you don't have a parish so these parishes love their priest yes and that's it gives a lot of energy and i think as a vocation director i think one of the difficulties can be that you are only the closer. I mean, mm-hmm. vocations, some people will look at a vocation director and they're like, man, like, why don't we have more, why don't we have more vocations? And it's like, that's like looking at a baseball pitching staff and looking at your closer uh-huh. and saying, why don't we have more wins? And it's like, well, our starting pitching staff is horrible and we have no one who can <laughs> hit, you know? There's so many things that go into that. So for me... I very much want to be a vocation director uh-huh. in the parish. You know, I want to be okay. meeting with guys who are discerning, kind of directing, helping people understand God's will, which I think pretty much with Father Dad still does. Exactly. Exactly. Because <laughs> he, he does push a lot of vacations here at the parish. Exactly. So, your time in the seminary, what was the thing that surprised you the most about the whole thing? Now that you're near the tail end of it. You're already in your, you know, diaconate here. What surprised me the most? I mean, I've I've already talked so much about the friendship. I was surprised that I was able to have as deep of friendships as I did because I've always been blessed with great friends. I'm still friends with my friends from kindergarten. I'm still friends with my friends from high school, from college. Uh-huh. And so I think for me, one, I was like, there's no, like, okay, there's going to be cool guys here. But I just, I can't believe that gift. I mean, to have, I, mean, I get to go to confession with my best friends. It is, I mean, what a gift. It is wild. Yeah. And guys who know everything about me in in and outside the confessional, I mean, we're just, we share everything about the spiritual life, everything we go through. And uh-huh. I mean, what a gift. That's I didn't really realize that. I think when I entered seminary, when I thought I was choosing diocesan over religious life, uh-huh. religious life, they, they're like, we're our order first, our community first. And then our kind of our vocation to the priesthood, if we have that, but they're very much about community and accountability. And I was shocked by what amazing men were in the seminary. I mean, we're, we're stacked. I mean, especially the Archdiocese of Galveston-Newson, we are completely stacked with just incredible guys. I can't wait to see these guys become saints, like in my lifetime. And so I think I was surprised at just how, how that all came about. I mean, I still remember meeting Father David Michael for the first time. Uh-huh. And it's like, it's kind of intimidating, you know? It's like, <laughs> oh, it's this people are like, yeah, that's our prodigy. Like he entered at 18 and all this stuff. Yeah, he puts on a concert every year, raises <laughs> six figures or whatever it is. I'm like, oh my gosh. And and then getting to know these guys and they're just such a gift. So for me, I didn't know I needed that when I was entering. I didn't know I needed such incredible friendships, but I quickly realized it and I'm so grateful. So for me, I mean, God's good. I can't wait to just fight spiritual battle with these guys. Do you think it was easier for you living in the seminary since you went to an all boys school, oh, since yeah. you 
had that job for three years with all guys. Oh yeah. I mean, in, in a way you almost have to be careful, right? Because there's a lot of bad things about an all guys high school. I mean, I love, yeah. I mean, <laughs> like I love straight Jesuit, but like we're, we're dumb. It, you know, and so there's times yes. where you can almost sense it derailing that way. And we're really pretty good in the seminary. I mean, I always say like, you could have us on mics all day and uh-huh. guys speak very well about women and stuff. None of that. But mm-hmm. like the roughhousing is pretty funny. Oh, yeah. I mean, we Very had, immature. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we just got a new dorm. And so our old dorms were really solid. Like it's basically cement walls okay. everywhere. And that we were kind of joking about that with like this new drywall. It's like, when, who's going to be the first person to get thrown through <laughs> one of these walls? Because guys are just kind of messing with each other uh-huh. and like kind of wrestling, you know? I mean, it's really funny how the seminary works. And people don't see that side of priests where we're just, we're just a bunch of guys hanging out, having a really good time. And uh, So is it kind of like fraternity life? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I mean, I will say that was one of the most difficult things. Like when the pandemic started, I have so many friends who – were struggling. They weren't going into work. They felt so oh. isolated. And so many people did. Yeah. And yeah. I I definitely sympathize with that. I mean, I totally get it. That would be horrible. I'm an extrovert. I can't imagine. Yeah. But I didn't have to deal with that at all. I mean, so when it first started, I was on pastoral year. So I did a little bit because I was in this huge parish. I was at St. Bartholomew in this huge parish where we see all these people and all of a sudden we're locked up in the little rectory. Uh-huh. But then, I mean, for that whole next year, I was like, this is amazing. I'm just hanging out all the time. We we were joking. We were like, we need to put cameras in here for reality TV. I mean, this is just funny stuff. What other crazy pranks happened at the seminary while you were there? I'm trying to were think. Were you a of, target? Did you mastermind anything? So I'm just all I'm just always just going act. I mean, I'm just the guy who's going to just put people on blast all the time. So I'm not really a prankster. Okay. I'm more your guy. Who, so we have announced, I love announcements. Okay. At, uh, we had a formator who was a little more strict. And in one of my evaluations, he goes, do you ever um, consider how some of your announcements can be perceived at dinner? And I said, Yes, but more importantly, I'm always considering how you're perceiving my announcements. <laughs> I said that in the whole faculty was like, oh my gosh. Well, announcements, at, what do you mean? So by at dinner, we have this period where basically you finish dinner, someone comes up to the bell, and then you just make house announcements about okay. various things. It could be like the okay. pro life group is doing this, or uh-huh. basketball meet for this, okay. or we have this event, or and it's just a time, but it always, and then. Those, those two things. And then people can give out what's called a free item. So we have something called a canteen. It's like a snack bar. Okay. And so people will come up and be like, oh, my nephew was born today. Free item. And that means everybody in the house gets one free snack. Okay. And, and it's, it's amazing. It's like a dollar worth of thing. And we are just, ba- I mean, we are bloodthirsty <laughs> for free item. Free item, free item. You said it. You said it. You know, give two. Give another way. There's a lot of momentum. So the announcements are just fun. Okay. But I mean, I'm, I'm dangerous when I get a mic, you know I mean? I recently, we had, uh, one of, one of our guys just wasn't wearing a tie. So on Sundays we, we wear suit and tie okay. unless you're ordained, then I, you wear clerics. And one of our guys is just hanging out, shirt unbuttoned, no tie on. Okay. And you know, people notice that kind of thing. And so yeah. I, and I had no intention to make an announcement at all. I just wanted to blast this guy. Okay. So... 
we had had um, kids from John Paul II school bring a ton of snacks. I mean, so many. We had tables full of snacks for studying, for exams. It was really nice. Okay. But I just get up to the microphone and I was like, guys, as you saw in my email, John Paul II school has generously given so many snacks to us. Like, please come by, take as many as you want. There's plenty. Said, at the end of this week, I want that table to look like Carlos Valero's tie rack, completely empty. <laughs> and I mean, just, he's like, are you kidding me? Just totally. So that happens a lot at the seminary. This guy's kind of blessed. There's all kinds of inside jokes. Uh-huh. We'll, we'll have visitors come for certain events. And I've heard a lady say like, Wow, I mean, you guys had all kinds of jokes. I didn't understand what was going on, but it was pretty fun watching everybody hooting and hollering and booing and yeah. I mean, it's tons of inside jokes. It's a, that, exactly. Uh, so that's probably my favorite thing. I'm not um, typically the prankster type, but I appreciate a good uh-huh. prank. So in our new dorm, we have we have an elevator. Which the old dorms were so old, we only had the traditional elevator where you have like the key that you have to turn oh, wow. and it goes up. It's basically a moving elevator. Wow. And the new dorm has a big, wide elevator. Okay. And so a lot of guys have gotten lazy, including me. I'm on the third floor. Uh-huh. You're like, I'm just going to take the elevator. Well, one of our seminarians, Luke Brahoda, who is, he'll be Deacon Luke Brahoda this upcoming summer. He just thinks it's the funniest thing when he watches guys get in the elevator and he knows they're at the third floor. He walks up the stairs on the second floor and then he hits up on the okay. elevator so that it will stop. <laughs> yes. And he gets guys every time. Guys will walk all the way down the hall. Like they will open the door to the wrong room because they're so convinced that they're on the third floor. <laughs> I mean, they'll walk into oh. the room and be like, oh my. Because you never think when you're going up to, the, no one goes on an elevator from the second to the third floor. Okay. So when you hit that three, you're on your phone, typing a text, just in your own world, <sighs> that door swings open and you just walk straight out. Oh, wow. And I mean, I have watched that And they look the guy. same. The f- oh, yeah. The floors look exactly the same. <laughs> I've watched that guy get so many people. And probably everybody on the third floor has barged into another person's room. And he always kind of wait, hangs out in the corner and then starts laughing when he watches the guys figure it out. I mean, I have respect for that. So I have respect for the prank, but I'm not typically the prankster. I'm kind of the, the jokester, I would say. So you, you, you just like ragging on people, yeah, giving them grief. Just, <laughs> giving them grief or like pointing pointing things out on the fly. So, uh-huh. fa- so Father Chad is the best. He is the best sport. I mean, he we we joke that he likes to be made fun of. Okay. Like he thinks it's funny. Like he, really? he's laughing harder than anybody is. I mean, so we always give him a hard time. Like he'll always have really ugly shoes. Okay. I mean, hideous. You're like, where are you buying your shoes? Like, where are you getting like really weird lines on them? And he he just so, he owns it. So just not old shoes, just ugly well, shoes. Just, yeah, ugly shoes. But old shoes, how do you define that? So we were roasting him recently about his shoes, uh-huh. and our rector chimes in, who used to be the cardinal secretary, and he goes, "You know, Cardinal Leonardo used to wear those shoes," and it's like. A no 27-year-old deacon about to be priest should have the same shoes as a 70-year-old cardinal archbishop, you know? But, so, yeah, we just, we have a lot of fun just Oh, that's crazy. Around. That's crazy. Now, speaking of, you know, giving people grief and roasting them, I understand that there's a lot of trash talk when it comes to the priest seminarian basketball games. There, There is, and there is nothing more... There's nothing I love more than 
being given a microphone for that. A few, a few years ago, we did an intro video. And so Father Preston can tell, who a lot of people know on this art site, he's really the one who, who sorted out the game. Okay. And he talks so much trash. And those guys got into my head. I mean, the first really? couple of years, those guys really got into my head. So I was convinced they were good. I, I thought that they were honest people. So I thought they were amazing basketball players because they told me they were over and over again. And we entered the first, the inaugural game. And I, I'll blame myself. I mean, I was I was a bad salesman. I sold that we were going to lose. I okay. I infected the team with poison. I, I will own that. So, And we, we lost, you know, and we, we didn't play good basketball. They were kind of in our heads. And that first year, I remember I got fouled shooting a three. And I met uh, Father Preston's talking to me like, hey, man, you got this. You're going to make all these free throws. Just totally trolling me. Like not, <laughs> not supporting me at all. Missed the first one. And he goes, two more, two more shots to make it. Whatever he says, missed the second one. And he keeps talking, keeps talking oh, wow. in my head. And, and I'm, I'm looking at him like, no, there's no way I miss a third one. Miss a third one. The next, so I missed three free throws in a row. They're giving me. I mean, just so much crap all year about this. Like, <laughs> man, I missed three free throws in a row in front of 2,000 people. So then we have next next year, we have the next game. I get fouled shooting a three. Oh, no. And I mean, Father Preston is like clapping in my ear <laughs> as I'm going to three throws. And I've been practicing all year. Like, I'm not doing – before the game, I'm practicing, you know. Uh-huh. I missed three in a row. Oh, no. I mean, I was so mad. We lost that game by two, I think. I mean, oh. it was – maybe we <laughs> lost by three. It was bad. I mean, which would have been – it was devastating, really in my head. But then I started to realize, like, Father Preston misses a ton of shots. Uh-huh. And so I mean, we we send him texts now, like, hashtag keep shooting, uh-huh. you know, like, keep, be, <laughs> keep being Russell Westbrook out there. We, we call, which anybody who's an NBA fan knows that Russell Westbrook's kind of a ball hog. Uh-huh. Yeah. He misses a lot of threes <laughs> and is really talented, very athletic. Uh-huh. And that describes Father Preston's. We give him a hard time. Anytime people give me a mic, I, I always reference how Father Preston gets the most fans to come to the game. And they just have to be so disappointed when they watch. I just re- people are like, "You are relentless." I'm like, "This guy was in my head. I missed six straight free throws <laughs> over two years, man." When we so the last two years, we've gotten much. We brought in a coach, practice oh, wow. once a week, and we've won the last two games, um, which we thank God. So so it's the series is tied two two. Uh-huh. So. Uh, we're we're hoping we're hoping to win this year. We're hoping to have even more fans. There. I mean, three thousand fans are coming out. This our next team's at Rice. Nice. Just, it, this thing's get people are like we're gonna be at Toyota Center one day. I mean, it's like <laughs> it's getting out of control. The basketball's not amazing. It's competitive though. Uh-huh. It's competitive. You know, guys are decently athletic. And yes, it's such an amazing event. I mean, as much as we talk trash, you know, Father Preston or Father Nicholas. So Father Nicholas Ramirez is the older brother of Deacon Jacob Ramirez. Okay. So, so they've got tons of trash talk. Oh wow, yeah, I can imagine. And you know, I mean, obviously, like Father David Michael, I was I was set to guard him last year. I was like, I played with this guy for years. Like, I am not giving him anything. You know, he okay. shot he shot twenty percent. If you're wondering, so, <laughs> um, which is so funny because he was the MVP of the year before. You know, but they didn't know how to guard him. They didn't play with him every day. So anyway, it's so good for the fans to uh-huh. see. And what I mean by fans, the faithful. Mm-hmm. To see their young priests and seminarians 
with so much brotherhood. I mean, we love those guys. Uh-huh. I love Father Nicholas, Father Preston, Father Victor, mm-hmm. Father David Michael, Father Chad, Father Houston. Like, just awesome, awesome guys. Yeah. And we're all fighting the same battle right now, you know, and that game, I think, gives people a lot of hope in the future of the church because to play basketball, you've got to be somewhat young. You know, everybody's <laughs> under 50. Most of them are under 40. And it just, it gives people. And it's nice to see that dynamic. It's just a whole different setting completely. Because most people, they see the the priest at church. Yes. Or at whatever more formal occasions, weddings, baptismals, you know, that kind of thing. But here you've got a basketball court and it's no holds barred when it comes to trash talking oh. and <laughs> and just ragging on each other and making fun of each other. Exactly. It's interesting. And yeah, I mean it's and it's to see that competitive side, I think people really enjoy and yeah, it's fun. And now the tough part for our coach likes to say this like this is a terrible model that I lose my best players to the priests every year. You know what I mean? Cuz <laughs> yeah, last the last game we had Father Chad and Father Houston were our two best players. I mean, uh-huh. they were the two best players of that game. They both become priests. You know, it, that's tough. That's a tough loss. It's worse than college basketball because college basketball, they have to graduate. Yes. But now they move on and then they're in your opposing yeah, team. To the opposing <laughs> team. So the only thing he hopes is that those priests get a little bit older, a little bit slower, which they do, which they do. <laughs> I, I can confirm that. Yeah, it's been fun. So, who's, are you the biggest trash talker on? Oh, definitely. Right now, and oh, for the seminary defi- inside, yeah, that's kind of my reputation. I'm like the the trash talker energy guy, not the best player. I'm probably the worst starter on the floor, I would say. But I'm I'm <laughs> but like that really other, annoying. Yeah, you get in their heads. Yeah, that's you that's do the, my the whole Dennis Rodman thing and get in people's heads, and so they mess up, huh? Yeah, that that's that is my role on the team. Like, I'll give you four or seven points, something like that, and then just. Just be talking, chirping, playing good defense, <laughs> trying not to turn it over too much. So you gave us a, a, a little bit of a peek behind the curtains. Now, Father David Michael. That's all I'm saying. Father what, David Michael. You just want to know. You want to know. what? It, so I tell Father David Michael is an amazing guy. He uh-huh. really is. I mean, yes. I, I've said that some... I like to be with Father David Michael because he's so humble. Sometimes he's not even honest, you know. But it, and Pete, he's so talented that I think a lot of people are like, "Oh man, like look at this big celebrity." The guy's awesome. I mean, I'll I'll call him mm-hmm. to work through situations. Like, hey, what do you think about this? Can you help me with this? I mean, he's such a servant, and I'm just so happy that we have someone who's that talented saying yes to the call of the Lord, you know, because he could have said no to the call of the Lord and been very successful, you know, and those people exist. There's Uh people who can say no to God's will and they just have so many natural gifts that they will be successful in this life. Uh And he's absolutely one of those people, but he's so funny. I mean, him and I love to just joke around. We we know so much about each other. So when we have, we always have to be like, we can never repeat that or we can repeat, you know, like (laughs) you can repeat that joke because there's so many just interwoven about like, okay, we're not allowed to talk about that. We can talk about that with people as just good friends. But uh, he's, he's an excellent guy, really funny. Um, we so back when he, he was in seminary and kind of before the whole world changed during the summer 
we would just make sure the stars aligned and we would take a week of vacation off by my parents' house. And I mean, we'd be, his Jeep would have no doors on it for five days. You know, we'd be <laughs> going out on boats, you know, just hanging out, getting ice cream every day, just hanging out, living life, going to mass, praying the rosary, praying rosary, and then just hanging. Uh-huh. And, uh, and he's a fun guy to do that. Now, the one thing I will say about Father Day Michael, he's always the first who's, who's down for the count. He works so hard. That uh, guy will fall asleep sitting in a chair while everybody's hanging out, having oh, a good wow. conversation. Oh, yeah. And, and he never, you'll always be like, Father Dave Michael, go to bed. Just uh-huh. go to bed. Like, we've got the bed ready for you. Uh-huh. It's 10 steps. Just, he's like, no, no, I'm fine. No, I'm fine. He never, he always wants to participate. He's like, Bro, <laughs> you're not out. And then probably one out of five late nights, uh-huh. he'll stay up till 5 a.m. with you. So you just you got to you got to be there for all five. The four times where he's passed out on the couch at ten forty five, and everybody <laughs> stays talking until two a.m. But that night he's up, and that's the first time I ever met him. What well really got to know him. So he was on his pastoral year, and every year we have a Christmas party with a cardinal. And uh, I remember Father Chad the next day was having ACL surgery. He blew his ACL, or at the time seminary and Chad, he blew his ACL playing basketball. Uh-huh. And so he had an early doctor's appointment. We tried to convince him to stay. He wouldn't stay. Father, Father David and Michael and I were shooting half-court shots for probably an hour and a half while we were talking to Father Chad. He left. We probably shot for another hour and a half. We eventually stopped. And we were just sitting, lights on, open gym, just talking about life, talking about why we want to be a priest. Uh-huh. He's telling me about his pastoral year. And, I mean, he's pretty open to you about how he was kind of 50-50. Yes. And not really sure. So he was kind of tell me about that, you know, uh-huh. tell me how he really thought, man, maybe I'm not going to make it through seminary. I might leave, like looking at my law school potential still, yes. maybe I'll go back to that. What am uh-huh. I going to do? And it really got solidified on his pastoral year. So it was really cool to kind of talk to him in general about pastoral year, but also about all of his experiences. So, I mean, we basically had one night where we stayed up way too late. I mean, that Christmas party probably ended at 9 p.m. And him and I stayed up till 5 a.m. Wow. Just talking. And we've clicked ever since then. I mean, that was that. Was that. Tell us about your pastoral year. Yeah, so I was at St. Bartholomew, which was an amazing experience. So I was with Father Christopher Plant, who a lot of people don't know, he was a seminarian from St. Lawrence, which is my home parish. Okay. So it was really weird. Like, I remember when he would be a seminarian, like giving like vocations blurbs after mass. Uh-huh. Yeah. And like, I just hated seeing him there because I didn't <laughs> like my parents to look at me. Like when we were talking about, the, like that was my memory of him. You so know? you see him coming up to give a little talk and then your par- you feel your parents' eyes on you. Huh? Exactly. 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 <laughs> You're like, oh, and they're going to. So that was great. It was great to learn so much from him. And then I really had the best of both worlds because not only was I with a pretty young pastor, Mm -hmm. but it was a first year parochial vicar, Father David Michael's classmate, Father Rick. Yes. And I mean, him and I just got along so well because we were friends in the seminary, but you could only be so close with everybody. And so it was wild going from like being friendly with someone and and enjoying sitting at their dinner table Uh to you were spending an hour plus a day just you two together. You know, we would find times in the morning or at lunch or at night. I mean, uh-huh. we spent so much time together. We were doing ministry together and all of us were, but to see what a gift it was to watch a guy who I had talked about the ideal 
of a priest being a priest with in his first year as a priest. Oh, wow. And Father Dave Michael was right here. So oh, that's yes. how I got involved a little bit with St. Faustina. I was coming to some like Katie young adult events yes. and stuff here and getting to know those people. I mean, what a gift. I mean, that's what I say when I say God is so generous. I mean, I could not have been placed in a better spot for my vocation. I mean, that was like a dream spot for oh, you. It was amazing. I mean, just awesome, awesome time. I'm still so thankful. So right now you are assigned to Sacred Heart. Sacred right? Heart and Conroe, in Conroe. All the way north. I tell people they wanted me to be close to my family in Dallas. So <laughs> going up to Conroe, which has been great. Um, I'm there during the busy months, three or, three or sometimes four weekends a month. Right now we're on vacation. So that's interesting because I'm like nowhere. I'm a nomad now. I'm just kind of <laughs> going around. That's why I can come to St. Faustina and do this interview. Yeah, great experience being a deacon. Uh, it's a, As a seminarian, you spend so much time and you don't really get to do anything. You know, I mean, you get to be, you don't get to do anything that the priest does. Okay. You know, as a seminarian, you're doing things that people who work at a parish do and then watching a priest do what a priest does. Like until you get that ordination, there's so many things you can't do. So all of a sudden now I'm preaching homilies, I'm doing baptisms, Uh you know, I'm doing funerals. Like it's, it's totally different. I mean, it's really like, whoa, I'm here. And it's, it's been nice to love it. I mean, just to love doing this. And even, I mean, even when you give talks, I mean, I gave a talk at St. Faustina on my pastoral year at one point. I came and it's cool to give it as a seminarian, uh-huh. you know, but it's like, you're a seminarian. It's like, yeah, he might be a priest one day. Uh-huh. It's like when you're like, I'm a transitional deacon and my ordination's on the calendar and I've been ordained. Yes. It's, it's just, you feel like I'm doing what I've wanted to do. And for me, I mean, it took me a little while to get to seminary. I mean, I had the thought of doing this when I was 15. I mean, that was, so I spent over half my life with that thought and I, it hasn't happened. You know, I'm 31 right now. And so it's amazing to finally be realizing this and also to be talking to so many priests who are loving it. Now, looking at these things that you can do now, yes. when you finally do it for the first time, what is it like? You know, the first baptism, the first, you know, the first homily, the first. So the, my first baptism, I was crazy. I, part of, I'm glad I did it. I had really close friends who basically had a miracle situation where they've been trying to have children. They adopted this little girl. Awesome. I love her to death. But they had this girl for two weeks and then they found out they were five weeks pregnant. So they have two within eight months. Oh, wow. (laughs) So that eight month old was was like two and a half months, my ordination day. And so we just planned it and I did the baptism the day I was ordained a deacon. Wow. For that baby. So it was chaotic. I mean, I'm I'm running over to do this baptism. One of the God, the godmother was super late. And I was uh-huh. like on a tight schedule. I was like, uh-huh. oh yeah, it's fine. I'm just about <laughs> to miss my own party. <laughs> um, a really crazy day. Such a gift. Oh my gosh, so nervous. I, it's funny, I totally cheated. Because this is what you do. When you're doing these things for the first time, mm-hmm. you have to, you just bring in a really good MC who tells you what to do. So uh-huh. I had Father Chad at the time, Deacon Chad, Oh. altar serving for me. So I was a brand new transitional deacon and I had an altar server who was a deacon uh-huh. at my baptism, which I've since returned the favor. I altar served for him as a deacon recently, but what a gift. I mean, to be able to 
it's like, wow, I'm here. You know, I'm, I'm preaching this baptism. I'm, I just did a baptism. It's valid. Like that baby's a Christian now, no longer wow. a pagan, really a gift. Does it make you, you know, step back and just like have to splash water on your face and slap your face and say, I can't believe this is happening? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's weird how comfortable I get in many ways so quickly. Uh-huh. Um, so sometimes I'm like, yeah, this is what I am. Like, this is the way it was going to be. So sometimes I almost forget how short it's been. But then, yeah, sometimes I'll step back and I'm like, I cannot believe this. Like, I can't believe I'm putting a collar on. I can't believe like the way, just the way people interact with you is funny. I mean, it's just very different. Once you're ordained and people are like, oh, they always think I'm a father, obviously, because transitional deacons were clear. Yes. Oh, hey, father, you know, hey, father. And people (laughs) love, they love to say hi to their priest, you know, and they love to see young priests, I think, around. It's like, wow. Uh Um, Just really changes the game, you know, wanting to be something for so long. Like, wow, I can't believe. In that, I mean, just thinking about my first mass and what that's going to look like and like holding Jesus in my, like the I'm going to be holding bread in my hands the moment it transforms <laughs> in the Bible, it's the one divinity of Jesus Christ. Like that's crazy. You know, I mean, that is nuts. And just thinking about how I'm going to feel. I hope I don't cry when it happens. Like I don't want to lose composure, you know, like when it's, <laughs> right? it's yeah, going to be like, amazing. So, Is that what you're looking forward to the most? Um. I'm definitely looking forward to that. But I mean, also hearing confessions. I mean, I, again, I told you, I mean, I love to sell things. And I mean, I remember helping out with RCA when I was in college at Texas A&M, St. Mary's Catholic Center. And you have tons of people converting. There are tons of people. And, but you have these people who are coming from outside the church who are kind of like nervous about the sacrament of reconciliation. And I just used to love to sell it. I mean, just you're going to be as clean as you were the day you were baptized. It's, it's beautiful, you know, just in telling people not to worry, like the priest, the re like the reason that you become a priest is because you know, there's so much sin and temptation in the world and that we need a savior. And that is Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And you want as many people to avail of that as possible. And so I would love telling people like that priest, if you're confessing really bad things, he's going to be like, thank God you confess that. Because guess what? He's already assuming that people are doing that. You know, what? not you individually, but like he knows like uh-huh. about sin. That's why he's choosing to do this. So for me, I'm so excited to be able to help move hearts to wanting to confess their sins and then being the guy. Like not only am I the salesman, but I have the inventory. I'm just, I just can't wait to do that. So looking forward to it. Now looking ahead to your first year as a priest, what are you looking at? What are, I'm sure you and the other transitional deacons are kind of thinking, who's going to what parish? So there, have you ever talked about that? So there has been almost no movement the last three summers, yes. just because of COVID. Yes, and so it's it's like really been charging up this heart's diocese. Like there's so many guys who are overdue to leave. Mm-hmm. who are definitely going to leave this summer. And so it's really hard to predict, really hard. And I'll say, not speaking of individual parishes, obviously, but parishes are so different, so different. I mean, the person out, every pastor isn't Father Dad. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? 
personalities of pastors are so different. Yes. Kind of visions, understandings, like staffs. I mean, some staffs are very small. Some are huge. Some places have schools. Yes. Some places have two or three parochial vicars. Some places have one. It's just very interesting how we're entering a life where, yeah, I know like generally like what I'm going to be and who I'm going to be as a priest. Uh-huh. But how that's going to look depending on my assignment. Yes. You know, I mean, there's some places that have ton of funerals or a ton of weddings. You know, St. Faustina has a ton of baptism. Yes. It's a really <laughs> young parish. Like you were just saying, like we have we have a hard time shooting here. There's so many Yeah, because it's hard to schedule with all the baptisms yeah, exactly. sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> and so just the different types of places it could be. Um and I just trust that I'm gonna get assigned somewhere where God is gonna use my skills uh-huh. or or he's gonna refine me. He's going to make me holier. You know, I have to trust that. I'm saying that to you as I say it to me. Mm-hmm. So I, I can't get too anxious about where I'm going to go because we have to believe as Catholics that every single moment of our life is divine providence. Like Jesus allows it and knows that it will bring us closer to him. So it's fun. It's fun. I mean, I joke with people that I'm going to come to St. Faustina. You know, I mean, there's a I chance. I would think that that's a big chance yeah. because Father David Michael's been here mm-hmm. for three years now. Mm-hmm. So he's he's pretty much due to move. And I'm sure there are a lot of other parishes that want him to come over. Which the reality is, I, ho- I hope, I mean, who knows? There's so many good guys who could come here. Some of the guys who are coming off their first assignment, you know, the guys in Father David Michael's class could come here too. Mm-hmm. Any of my class could come. It's a class of three, but Father Joseph White's also coming off yes, the board. Yes, he's, he's come back from, and he's been here, so he makes a ton of sense. A lot. That's the name. A lot of people throw Father Joseph and I out for Saint Faustina. So that's the one thing. I think that's a safe um, observation to make right. about potential assignments because <laughs> it's so out there, and people say it all the time. But yeah, it's going to be interesting. It's it's fun to to kind of to play that uh, that game of. Who goes where? And you only find out a day before. People are always so, they're so like, crazy. do you know where you're going? I'm like, no. When do you find out? At rehearsal, the day before ordination. You try to get hints from uh, from from the priests and nobody says anything, huh? Well, it's funny. So I, last year, I, t- I know a lot of people on the, on the first, vi- on, sorry, on the personnel board. Uh-huh. And people, they're never going to tell. But like you can almost just tell from like the way that they're behaving that it's going to be okay. Like I knew that Father Chad was going to like his assignment. Uh-huh. The last conversation I had with someone who was on the personnel board didn't tell me anything, but I could just kind of tell like that they knew that it was going to be good. And I was like, okay, that's a good. So I was actually get I actually guessed Saint Elizabeth. <laughs> oh really? Oh boy. Like 10, 10 minutes before. I, I was way <laughs> off before that, but I knew I kind of lined it up that day of. We'll see. Well, we thank you so much for yeah. coming into the show. It's a, and we look forward to see where you do finally end up. I look forward to it too. I, I'm excited and terrified. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be great.